one of the things that I think this season is teaching all of us is the importance of relationships. As the song goes, you don't know what you got till it's gone. We were just not made for this social distancing stuff, were we? You know, we, we feel the truth right now in a, in a very poignant way that, yeah, we, we do know that two are better, are better than one. Community certainly beats individualism every single time. But as much as we might be desiring to be together again, the reality is that while two might be better than one, two is often far harder than one. We might be missing being around people right now, but, but the reality is this moment will soon pass and we'll start being together again. And let's just be honest, we might be longing for the days of quarantine at some point. Two are better than one, but two are definitely also harder than one. Relationships take work. And if we're honest, I think sometimes we'd rather just not be bothered. That's why this passage does not just say two are better than one. It also goes on to give us some reasons why two are better than one. You see, we were designed to be at our best in community, but often we don't want to do what God says is best for us. And so in this passage that we just heard read, God gives us four reasons, four convictions, if you will, about why we need community in our lives. And these four convictions are meant to give us some staying power in our relationships. That when things get hard, here's why we stay plugged in. I've entitled this morning's sermon, Convictions About Community. Convictions About Community. And the simple point is this. If we're going to thrive as God intended, then we need to be committed to spiritual community. If we're going to thrive in life as God intends, as God wants for us, then we need to be committed to to spiritual community. There's four convictions about community. Let's look at the first one. It comes right in the very first verse, verse 9, where it said two are better than one because they have a good reward for the toil. Here's the first conviction that we see. Two are better than one when you want to get something done. Two are better than one when you want to get something done. You know, this is obvious, right? Like we have a saying. We say many hands make light work. But often, our willingness to work with others, it it usually depends on how much we think they need our help. Like, like, for example, if I'm going to hang planters, then I'm terrible at house projects. I don't like doing house projects. And so I'm more than willing to to accept help for that kind of work. And actually, true story, Angie was given planters for Christmas. And so if you would, and they're still not up, so if you would like to help me... um, Feel free to reach out. I'd be more than happy to accept your help. You know, we, we accept help when we know we need it, but then there's other times that we don't feel like we need it. So when I'm driving and my dear sweet wife is sitting in the passenger seat giving me directions, that's not always help that I feel like I need. Our willingness to get help usually depends on the work we're trying to do. The word toil here in in verse 9 envisions an agricultural worker in the field, right? And this worker, he is is toiling, like he's working hard because he knows there'll be no harvest if he does not work. 
He, he doesn't need to be prodded to work. He knows that if he doesn't, he doesn't labor, his family's going to starve. And so because his work is so vital, because this work is so important to his well-being, he is more than willing to get help that is offered to him. Friends, we need to understand God has given each one of us very vital work to do. Jesus, before he was taken up into heaven, he gave this final charge to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That last part is really important, the part where it says the end of the age or or the end of time. You know, all the people that Jesus originally said that to, they all are dead. They're no longer around. They didn't make it to the end of time. And so what does that mean? That means that these words of Jesus, this mission that he's given, is still in effect. Right? The work that Jesus has given isn't over because the end of the age hasn't come. And so these words of Jesus, of going and making disciples, those words come down and give a purpose to each one of our lives. Being a follower of Jesus means that you've been commissioned by Jesus to do the work of making disciples. Disciples are people who believe in Jesus by faith, and because they believe, they seek to apply their faith to every part of their lives. Jesus often called his disciples, he he called them his his followers, right? Jesus is not just looking for people to to kind of say they believe in him or, or to check off, you know, maybe a box on some kind of like, you know, census or something. No, Jesus wants people to give him honor, to show his glory, to show his great worth by saying, you are so valuable to me that I want to follow you in every part of my life. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, we're obviously not doing that perfectly, right? We can all stumble and fall, and we'll actually talk more about that in a minute. Discipleship is not about perfection. Discipleship is about direction. Discipleship is not about perfection. Discipleship is about direction. We, We might have stumbles. We might have falls. We might even take detours. But our direction is that we are following Jesus. And so we're not willing to stay down. We're not willing to just keep going off our own way. No, we are now seeking the direction of Christ. We're trying to go his way. And so Jesus wants us, who have become his disciples, to be used by him to make other disciples. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is being commissioned by Jesus to make other disciples of Jesus. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is being commissioned by Jesus to make other disciples of Jesus. This is a mission he's given us, but this mission requires a community. When Jesus left earth, he did not give this this mission to a few individuals. He did not pull Peter aside and say, hey, Peter, listen, I need you to go be a great Peter. He didn't pull Matthew inside and say, hey, Matthew, you know, I really believe in you and the dreams I have for you, and, and you need to go do your own thing. No, no, no. He called them all together, and he sent them out together. And, and what is it that they do? Right? If you read Acts, what is it that all these people do? They preach the gospel, and then they start forming churches. Like, they created communities. See, the purpose of the church is not an institution. The purpose of the church is to be a community 
where discipleship happens. We're not a club. We're not, we're not a support group. We're not a nonprofit with a social cause. No, we are here. We exist as the church, as a community together. We exist to disciple one another. We need one another in order to grow into being the disciples that Jesus has made us to be. We need one another. We need one another. And we need one another not just to grow in our lives. We need one another in order to effectively reach people who are not yet disciples. We need one another in order to effectively share the message of Jesus and to, to live the life of love and good deeds that he has called us to live. Our work is the mission of discipleship, and this mission requires a community. The, the only way to see a good harvest, what, what verse 9 calls a good reward, the only way to see God's work being accomplished is if we are committed to doing it together. Two are better than one. And, and I love this passage from 1 Corinthians 3 that, that really illustrates this principle. The, the church in Corinth w- had been celebrating individuals, right? But this is what Paul says to them. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 through 8, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. See what he's saying there? The the one who plants will be rewarded for planting, and the one who waters will be rewarded for watering. But both are needed to grow something that they could not grow by themselves. And what gets rewarded It is not the part they played. What gets rewarded is what they were a part of. Right? Like one watered and one planted both get rewarded because it's not about the part you play. It's about what you are a part of. Both were a part of growing something for the Lord. We all have parts to play in the mission. But what gives us value is not the part we're playing. What gives us value is that we're playing a part. God has given us something to get done that we cannot get done alone. Two are better than one when we want to get something done. Conviction number two comes in verse chapter, uh, verse 10, chapter 4. It says, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. All right, here we go. Conviction number two. Two are better than one when you fall. Two are better than one when you fall. It's it's a fact of life that we all sometimes stumble and fall. We know that really well here in South Philly, don't we? We're not watching where we're going. We're liable to hit a pothole. And I tell you what, you hit that and you fall into it, you might never be getting out again. But, But there are far more serious potholes that we can fall into than just the potholes on the streets of Philly. There there are harder falls that we can take. We can fall by getting involved in a relationship that we have no business being in and we can totally lose our way. We can fall by giving into a temptation that we thought we were way too strong to do but ended up being too weak to resist. 
we can fall by making a foolish decision that really comes back to bite us and leaves us with lasting consequences. There's all kinds of different ways that we can experience falls in our lives. And, and there are some falls that we can you know, recover from ourselves. But this verse says, woe to him who is alone and has not another to lift him up. Like, it's envisioning a fall that's so hard that when you go down, you are knocked out and you cannot get back up on your own. The author does not specify how this fall happens because, quite honestly, there's probably just too many to count, isn't there? We, we, we can fall by not being careful. We, we can fall by not watching where we're going because we're looking at the wrong thing. We can fall by going into slipperly places. We can fall by someone else pushing us down. There are all kinds of ways to fall. And so this is not saying, here is how you fall. No, what it's saying is, here's what you need to do when you do fall. And here's something we need to be really clear on. There is not a single one of us watching this, nor myself speaking this, who is beyond having a fall. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. The person who is in the greatest danger of a, a future fall is the person who thinks they are too good to fall. No one is beyond falling. And so we better have some people in our lives who are there to help us get back up again. Since no one is beyond falling, it is really important that we have some people in our lives that are able to not get down in the mud with us, nor stand in judgment over us, but offer a hand up to us. Listen, it's, it's very easy when you have a fall to find people who, who are more than happy to be down in the mud with you. Sometimes people can even, they can be happy that we make mistakes because that makes them feel better about their own. And so they're more than, more than fine to get down in the mud and to stay down in the mud and just enjoy being in the mud with us. And then, and then there's other people who have no problem standing there, arms folded in judgment, and saying, why did you mess up so often? Right? We don't need people in our lives who get down in the mud, and we don't need people in our lives who stand in judgment. We need people in our lives who are standing, who aren't in the mud, but are not standing in judgment. They're standing with outstretched arms. It matters, it matters who we surround ourselves with. Galatians 6.1 says it this way, If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. See, the goal of the church community when someone falls is clear. The goal is clear. Our goal is, is restoration. It's restoration. That word restore means to, to mend what is broken. If you break your arm, a doctor isn't going to cut it off. At least I hope not. No, what's the doctor going to do? The doctor's going to put a cast around it so that it can grow strong again and heal and be mended and restored. Friends, when someone 
falls and break themselves so bad that they can't get up, the church of Jesus should not practice amputation where we just cut people off and cut them out. No, our goal is not amputation. Our goal is restoration. We seek to bring the healing power of Jesus to get the gospel cast around people. And so we share the gospel. We encourage with the gospel. We point people away from their fall and the mess they've made. And we point them to Jesus who, who lived the perfect life to cover their mess. Who died on the cross to pay for their mess. Who rose from the grave to prove definitively that there is more power in him than death itself. And so there is no fall that he can't pull us out of. Friends, the church is not a museum where everyone is supposed to be in pristine and perfect condition kept under glass. No, the church is an ER where people with broken limbs should be able to come in and get the cast of the gospel around them so they can be healed. Galatians 6.1 says, seek to restore. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says, you pull your brother up. And when you restore someone, when you pull them up and put them back on their feet, why do you do that? You do that so that they can be used again. You heal an arm so that way someone's able to go through life with both arms, able to use them equally. Friends, listen. Part of restoring someone in the gospel is by believing in a better future for themselves than they could even imagine. Like, part of restoring people in the gospel is saying, hey brother, hey sister, I believe God wants to use you. I believe God wants to do great things through you. This temporary set uh, break is that you think is a permanent fall. I'm not accepting that. I'm believing there's nothing the gospel cast can't heal. And so I'm believing that there's one day where God's going to use you again. Friends, this is how we restore one another with the gospel. We believe in a better future for each other. We need people in our lives who know how to speak life into us when we fall down. The life-giving words, the life-giving truth, the life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ. Two are better than one when you take a fall. Conviction number three. Two are better than one when you need to get warm. Two are better than one when you need to get warm. Verse 11 has this imagery that's honestly a little odd in our culture, and to those who like personal space, this is going to kind of get in your face a little bit. But it, it says if two... If they two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? In ancient times, if you were traveling on the road, there was no nice, you know, kind of down feather sleeping bag to, to make yourself warm in. You know, there was no generator that you could, you know, hook up a portable heater to. You know, no one back then went glamping. No, if you were out on a cold night, there was only one way to get warm. The only way to get warm was to have someone near to you and to be able to warm yourself with their body heat. And when you were warm, then you, were, you felt comfortable and you were able to be at rest. And so spiritually, right, we find our warmth in God. Like, He is our comfort. He is our rest. But listen, nothing 
will cool you faster spiritually than trying to stay warm for God by yourself. Because life is full of many cold nights. Cold nights of disappointment. Cold nights of suffering. Cold nights of rejection. Cold nights of being misunderstood. Cold nights of fear. Cold nights of loss. Cold nights of regrets over your own failings. And listen, I don't care how warm you think your relationship with God is. If you're going through life alone, then there's a cold night coming that's going to threaten to chill you to the bone. And sometimes we need other people to help us feel a warmth that we could not have by ourselves. When we first planned this church, I was full of all kinds of dreams. We were blessed with a bunch of resources. We got this building, and it needed a ton of work, but, but man, we were excited for the work. But then my Crohn's disease, which had been remission for years, flared up. And I ended up having to spend many weeks in the hospital and had several surgeries, some of them very, very, very serious. And during this time of being hospitalized, as we were about to enter into our building and begin the renovation work, there was a building collapse in Center City. This building collapse was due to the fact that there had been corruption in the building department of the city, and so they had not properly permitted what was supposed to happen, and uh, people ended up going to jail over it. And so because of that, you know, the city... To root out that corruption, they, they just ended up clamping down on anyone who was doing any kind of building whatsoever. And so because of that, our little church, our timeline for renovations tripled because of all the new regs we had to go through. And our costs doubled. And I'm in the hospital helpless. Watching this happen. You want to talk about a cold night? I didn't have faith to hold on. I was, I was done before ever really even getting started. But my friend Sam would start regularly coming to the hospital to encourage me. My friend Steve and Jim and Joe and Matt and more than I could even name right now made it their mission in life to keep me warm. My wife was a champion. She heard my cold nights the worst. And she kept me warm the most. You need to understand, my fire was out. And I was ready to quit. And this thing was over before it began because I had gone cold. But this church is here today because it is good to have people around you who can keep you warm when life weighs you, lays you out cold. This church is a testimony to their faith. Friends, we need others who can keep our hearts warm in Christ.
We need to be close to others. You can't experience a person's body heat if they're far away. You, you need to let them in. You need to be vulnerable. But man, if you can experience that, if you can be honest about how you're feeling cold, oh, there's a warmth that can come from brothers and sisters being around you and giving you their warmth in Christ. We need others to keep our hearts warm in Christ. Final conviction comes in verse 12. It says, Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will stand against him. Conviction number four, two are better than one when you're in a fight. Two are better than one when you're in a fight. As you go through life, there will be times where you might get attacked. You can get attacked from people who don't even know you. But for some reason, there's something about you that rubs them wrong, and so they just they come after you. Even worse, sometimes we can be attacked by people who do know us. We be, can be attacked by people who were supposed to be, we thought were going to work with us. We thought that we were kind of walking through life with, and next thing you know, we're being attacked by people that, that we thought were on our side. Nothing, <laughs> nothing hurts worse than friendly fire. You can be attacked spiritually. The Bible is very clear. Every day, Satan and his demonic forces are strategically working to undermine your faith in Christ. A few years ago, I was talking with someone who had recently become a Christian, and, and he was just telling me, he's like, man, ever since I became a Christian, I feel like I'm just constantly under attack. And I said, well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, before, when you were on the other team, you know, Satan had no problem leaving you alone. But now that you switch sides, he's going to want to bother you. Like, if we're on the side of God, we should expect all hell to break loose. And so there are attacks that you cannot face on your own. There are battles you cannot fight on your own. There are enemies you cannot defeat on your own. There are attitudes you cannot change on your own. There are habits you cannot break on your own. There are problems you cannot solve on your own. And there are needs that you cannot meet on your own. The life of faith is a fight. And so we need people in our lives who've got our backs. That phrase, got your back, comes from how ancient Roman soldiers would fight. If you look at a Roman soldier, they would wear their armor just, just only on the front. And so they'd have you know, kind of shin pads, and they'd have, you know, a belt, and they'd have a, a, a breastplate, they'd have a helmet, but there would be nothing protecting their back. Why is that? Because a Roman soldier never went into battle alone. They would go into battle with legions, their legion. That was often hundreds, if not thousands, of soldiers. And so there's no reason to protect your back because that was your fellow soldier's responsibility. And so friends, if there's one thing the church should be, it should be a place where we have one another's back. Where we're able to stand and make a stand together when our faith is being attacked. 
Listen, if you, if you follow Jesus, I cannot promise you that you will not have to fight any battles. But I can promise you that if you're part of Christ church, you will not have to fight it alone. You know, this is, this is why, as a church, we are just so absolutely committed to prayer. This is why we gather every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. to pray. This is why we're sending out weekly emails starting this week with, with just prayer requests for our church. This is why we're, we're doing monthly prayer and praise nights. As Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered, there I am amongst you. Like we need to be praying for one another. We need to be together in this because this is how we fight for one another in order to stay strong in our faith. Two are better than one when you're in a fight. Now, no matter how strong our relationships are, our community is, we all know that we're not perfect. So our community is not perfect because we're made up of a bunch of imperfect parts. There are times where we might fail one another. And so that's why this section closes by saying it's a threefold cord that's not quickly broken. This whole passage has been about two being better than one, but at the end here, it, it moves to three. Because if you, there's only two, well then the one is still vulnerable. Because think about it, if there's only two strings holding a weight and one of them snaps, now there's only one string that's bearing that weight alone. And so what you need in order to, to truly thrive in community, to truly benefit from relationships, you need more than just the two. You need there to be a third cord running through Every relationship, and friends, let's be really clear, that third cord is Jesus Christ. He, he's the cord that never breaks. And so even though there are times we might fail one another, if we are bonded in Christ, then we will be able to get through it. And it's not going to be because we're strong enough to hold each other up, it's going to be because He is. You know, Jesus is the friend who always helps us get his work done. Jesus is the friend who restores us through what he's done for us in the gospel. Jesus is the friend who, who warms us and gives us his strength through believing his power. Jesus is the friend who fights for us and surrounds us with his protection from our enemies. And so friends, if Jesus is our center, Jesus never fails. And so Jesus is the one who can keep our community unbreakably strong. And so this is why as a church, we are unapologetically centered on Jesus Christ. Like our name gives it all away. We're Christ church. We're Christ church. Jesus cannot be just someone we believe in when we become Christians. No, Jesus must be at the center of our lives. And so I pray that we be a community that would always be centered on Him. That more and more and more is learning together how to apply Jesus to the everyday stuff of our life. Jesus is the one who keeps us together. And so may our issues with one another that will happen sometimes. May they never be bigger than our unity in Him. May our opinions or, or preferences never be more important than the mission He's given us together.
may our politics never trump the fact that he's our king and we're all part of the same kingdom. May our differences of age and gender and race, ethnicity and economics never be greater than our common bond in Christ. Friends, may Jesus be what always keeps us unified, what keeps us together, so no matter what, oh, he's the one who keeps us living out his purposes as his community, as his church. Friends, we can never be alone what we can be together. We can never accomplish by ourselves what we can do for God through the community God has established of his church. Two are better than one if there is this third court of Jesus Christ running through it. And so if you're watching this and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, God has given you an opportunity right now to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. God, God is calling you right now out of your life of individualism and calling you to be part of his purposes, part of what he wants to do to show the beauty and value of who he is. He wants to show it to you he wants you to think about it. He wants you to know him. Man, we love to pray with you. We love to connect with you. Please reach out to us. We love to talk to you about how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you do have that relationship, then my question is, how are these convictions functioning for you? I wonder how many of us have Maybe unresolved conflicts that we need to work through at the foot of the cross. I wonder how many of us have honestly just been lazy and don't really make a commitment to community. We, we do it on our timetable when it suits us instead of being part of something bigger than ourselves. Or maybe you've been running hard and you've been giving it all to your community and, and you do know, yeah, it, it is hard work and you've been a little weary. Oh, I hope this puts a little, put this little pep in your step. I hope this gives you fresh wind and a fresh fire for the great and glorious purposes God has for us as we are a community together. We cannot be who God has created us to be by ourselves. We cannot do what God has called us to do by ourselves. We need one another with Christ at the center in order to fulfill the glorious purposes that God has for us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me?